Well, good morning. Hi again. You've got me because Pastor Eric is away on vacation. <laughs> so, um, oh, all right. There we go. Livelihood. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the support. I don't know how he's going to feel watching that back, so I won't say who it was. All right, so uh, last week, Pastor Eric introduced our new sermon series on the parables of Jesus and talking through these stories, these famous stories that have been handed down from Jesus. And then Pastor Eric shared one of his stories that he likes to tell a lot. No, it wasn't the Dave Grohl story. But I've also got my stories that I like to tell a lot. And for some reason, they all involve the deep humiliation of me. And you all get to enjoy it. So I dug up this story. Some of you who have been here for a while, you may know what it is. It's been a couple years, but we've got a lot of new people. So maybe you've not heard the very intimate tale of the lost keys at Safeway. Anybody? Okay, some people got it. Some people are like, uh-oh. So if there's one story I could tell where you get to know me in a couple minutes, it is the time I lost my keys at Safeway. Now you're thinking, Michelle, how is that different from any day in your life? And you lose things all the time, especially the keys. I don't know where they are right now. But let me just set the stage here. Imagine eight years ago, and I'm very pregnant with my daughter, Lucy. I let you know this part of the story so that you pity me because pregnancy brain, right? And so imagine I am days before my due date, days before my induction date, um, and I'm, you know, huge and waddling around, and I am going to Safeway for my last-minute grocery run. I am going to be responsible. I am going to get some healthy foods. I'm going to meal plan. Um, and I was very responsible that day. I did a lot of things right. I brought my reusable bag. I had a list prepared. I'm in the produce section. I'm making all the right choices. And then I get a phone call. A little bit distracted. It's an important phone call. Can I'm doing this? Can I'm doing that? And then phone calls over, and I kind of reflect, wait a minute. Why is his hand empty? What was in his hand? I didn't carry a purse. It was the keys. Whoa, they're not in his hand. Okay, that's okay. Don't panic. We're going to look around through the cart. We're going to see, nope, I've got uh, apples, oranges, and bananas. Again, responsible with the produce, no keys. Okay, reusable bags. I'm going to look through those. Nope, not in there, right? I'll just retrace my steps. Okay, I was at the apples, oranges, and bananas. How did I do? Or rather, remember, I'm waddling around. I'm very pregnant. You feel terrible for me. And I'm at the apples, and I'm digging through them. And I'm at the bananas, and I'm digging through them. And then I'm at the I'm like, they're, they're not in any of these places. And I must have looked kind of weird because the janitor at the time kind of stopped mopping the floor and went, are you okay? No, <laughs> I've, I've lost my keys. I'm about to give birth. Could you help me look? And so now he's rooting around in the produce with me. It's me and the janitor going at it for the keys. And I must have really distracted this young man because his boss came over. And if you can imagine manager like red Safeway polo shirt, are you okay? She says to him, no, this lady lost her key. She's about to give birth. Okay, well, now she's uh, looking on the ground. And uh, ma'am, have you checked your cart? Yeah, I checked my cart. Ma'am, have you checked the, the bags? Yeah, I checked my bags. Okay, well, have you retraced your steps? That's what, what we're doing now. So we're all looking. And then I have this thought. What if someone stole the keys? Because they're not here. And I was on the phone, and somebody targeted me because I'm a sad, very pregnant woman and easy to take advantage of. So clearly, it's that I put the keys down, and then somebody picked the keys up. At this point, I should tell you it's not my car. And I borrowed a car. <laughs> um, and it's one of those fancy ones where you just you go up to the car, and it's going to open. It's going to start. It's going to do all those things. So in my mind, the bad guy has the keys, has the car. He's gone. And so I go out to the parking lot to see if the car is there. there you guys look for the keys. I'm going to go check the car. And so car is still there, and I'm waiting outside to catch the bad guy just like a couple cars over. This is a true story, <laughs> and I'm not at the worst part. 
So I'm in the parking lot watching the car from two cars back. I call my uncle because I realize I'm in a situation, at the very least, I can't leave. Like, I, I don't have my keys for real. And someone's going to have to take me home. So I call my uncle. I'm very, very pregnant, if you recall. And I'm about to give birth any minute. I'm starting to feel some labor pains. And I've lost my keys. If you could come get me from the Safeway. And so now my uncle has stopped work in the middle of the day <laughs> and is leaving to come get me at the Safeway. And so this isn't working. I'm going to go in. I'm going to try again. But I have a thought. I think of a thought. What if I could just get my hands on the security camera footage? Then we could ch catch the bad guy, right? Okay, so I go in with my brilliant plan to that Safeway manager. I have an idea. We get the security camera footage. We catch the bad guy. Or at the very least, we can see where I put them down, right? Can you just watch me back? Is it really that big of a request? Apparently it was because she said to me, the only way to get the security camera footage is to have a police officer. Hmm. So I call the police. <laughs> and they come, and my uncle's there, and the manager's there, and who might as well be the CEO of Safeway is there trying to unlock the door for the safety or for the, the security cameras. And it's a whole scene. The janitor has stuck around for this. There's a crowd. And the police officer's asking me, you know, did you check your cart? Let me check my cart. Did you check, you know, around you? Did you retrace your steps? Yeah, I did that. Did you check your bags? Yeah, I did that. Well, check again. There's this, like, little zipper on the inside of the reusable bag, and I just kind of slip my hand out. <laughs> and it's joy and it's pain all in one feeling. And I just bring them up. Good news. <laughs> I found them. Isn't that great? And then I swore my uncle to secrecy. No one's ever going to know this. I left the Safeway. I abandoned the cart of produce. And I never returned to this day. And somewhere they're retelling that story too. And it lives on. Uh, but I, I tell it when it's appropriate, when I feel like you all get to know. So that is one uh, little story that I could have you get to know me a little bit better. And if it could teach a lesson, it would be don't trust Michelle with your valuables. Uh, but thankfully, uh, we're focusing on a different kind of story today, and that is a parable of Jesus. So uh, we'll get back on track. The definition of a parable that we shared last week is a human story with a spiritual truth. And last week, Pastor Eric shared the parable of the talent. So if you missed that, go back, catch up online in this series. Remember, we're studying some of the most memorable and helpful parables Jesus told in his ministry. So today we are going to explore the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, it's great because it's incredibly straightforward. Some parables can be confusing. They need a little bit more explanation than others. But the parable of the sower is not only pretty simple, but it is one of the parables that Jesus actually takes the time to explain it to the crowd. So it's seven short verses. We're going to go through it three different ways today. Once just to read it. Second time to go through Jesus' explanation. And a final time to apply it to our lives. So let's just go ahead and read it. So Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 3. You can find that in your Bibles. We're going to put the parable up on the screen. Let's read that. Starts with, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 
Jesus is known for many analogies and parables involving plants and trees and gardening uh, because not only would the people have easily understood that, but it also beautifully represents the life that is inside of us when the word of God is in our hearts. And I totally jive with this parable, not because I'm a farmer, but because I'm a terrible gardener, <laughs> so there's a lot that, that I can apply here. I try so hard every year. I've got the best intentions. I believe we have a picture of my best intentions, and every year I start my garden, and it looks like this. This was me in April. Isn't it great? Here's me yesterday. Ugh. If you look hard, you might see it's me. Okay, that, that's all weeds. It's terrible. Um, I just, you know, I set out to save money, to grow my own produce, to never have to go back to Safeway again, right? Those are my goals. Hundreds of dollars in four years later, and I've yet to see a red tomato. Uh, do not follow me for financial advice. But this gardening imagery, it works perfectly for what Jesus is trying to teach people about himself. And whether you enjoy gardening or not, it holds the test of time. Thankfully, later in Matthew 13, Jesus outlines the meaning of the parable for everyone. As you've probably gathered, the farmer is God. The various soils or landing places are us as hum and human beings. The seeds are the good word of God, right? His truth, Jesus himself fulfilling prophecy. And God is trying to sow his good truth in us. So we'll go through it a second time then with Jesus' explanation that comes later in chapter 13. So let's start with what happens to the first seed, the seed that fell along the path, and the birds ate it up. They're the evil ones. I got, I got to do one next. And it's all triggering. Oh, it's terrible. Okay, for me, that's the evil one. And it's not birds in my garden. That's not the problem. Do you know what this thing is? The devil on a plant? No, it's the tomato hornworm. And if that thing's on your plant, you'll never see a tomato a day in your life. It eats it in like a day. Your plant is gone. And I learned what that was because my garden's full of them. It's terrible. Why do I keep trying to take it away? Take it away. Is it gone? No? Okay. Just give me a signal. Give, it's behind me, isn't it? It's like, that was like a trust fall, me and you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So it's gone now. Uh, Jesus says the meaning is the seed that fell along the path are those who hear the message but do not understand. The evil one snatches away what is sown in their hearts. So who do I think about with this? Who do you think about with this one? I mean, traditionally we'll think about, you know, the atheist, the unbeliever, somebody who's like, nah, that doesn't make sense, right? They just dismiss it. Their hearts are so closed off, so hardened, so unavailable that the seed could never establish, and now it's exposed to the enemy who just takes it away as fast as it was put down. And most of us here, we chose church today. So I imagine we're at least a little bit more receptive than the hardened, stoned path. Well, it's, you know, that's not me. You know, I love God. I'm, I'm thankful if that is your immediate reaction. But I would just caution something that I've seen far too many times. And it is a slow, unconscious hardening of our hearts over time. And here's how I've seen it happen. We're just reading along. We're studying our scripture. And we come across a verse that we don't like. We come across a story that doesn't fit very well. And we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Now, nah, I don't know about that. I have heard Christians and Christian leaders want to take out parts of the Bible, take out parts of Scripture. Now, nah, nah, we'll skip that. You know, we'll dismiss that. Or I'm not going to talk about that. Or that. Like, what are we doing? Like, that is us rejecting God. Rather than explore it and study it and toil over it, make good soil, we reject it. Do not 
let the evil one snatch away what God is trying to sow in your heart. All of God's word is good. Let's move on to the next one, the rocky ground. Hopefully that Mr. Gunn come back. Somebody else, somebody else. Uh, rocky ground. Did not have much soil. The soil was shallow. The sun came up and the plants were scorched. So we've got a, hopefully a friendlier picture here. Ah, there we go. Some of uh, earlier this morning, somebody guessed what this was immediately because they've seen. Yes, isn't this depressing? It's the Walmart garden section. All these plants had so much hope and promise and then nothing. They've been scorched. And if you look hard enough in the back corner there, you see that yellow noodly looking thing. That's the hose. And it's on. It's just the guy at Walmart, when you go into Walmart, he's like, oh, okay. I'm very tempted, like, to just start watering the plants. Like, someone do something, right? Like, and then the next one here, what's even more sad, you see that sticker price? That is a dead plant for $5. Who's buying that? Who? Who? Who would, who would go into the garden center at Walmart? But I did. I bought one plant uh, just to see if I could revive it. And good news, it, the, it came back to life. So we've got an eggplant coming. It's going to be good. I, I got one just to see what would happen. Um, so here's what Jesus says, uh, is that these plants or these uh, soils, the rocky ground, is someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, uh, but they have no root. So they last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So who is this? Someone who caves under pressure. Oh, what? Me, Christian? <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Again, this group hears the word just the same. It's in their heart, too. They've received it. They want to do something with it, kind of like those plants. Oh, I'm going to be in somebody's garden one day. This is going to be great. But the moment there's trouble, the moment the gardener in the water, uh, Walmart section comes up, right, they're just, they're out. Pastor Eric mentioned last week that we don't truly understand persecution in this country, in our church today, as people would have understood it uh, when Jesus was telling this parable, and he really prepares his disciples and his followers for persecution. And what happened? Well, it all came true, right? All of the apostles were hunted down, the disciples were hunted down and martyred for their faith in Jesus. And we can't understand what that's like. The closest thing we have is like being kind of weird or unliked. And you know what happens for us? We cave. We totally cave. And if you're like, nah, I don't cave, let me just run through some scenarios and see if this has ever happened to you. Has there ever been a point where you just feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you, like share with this person, invite them to church, bring that up. And for whatever reason, you just don't because it would impose, or that would be weird, or I wasn't asked, right? Uh, maybe you have a secular job. I work in a ministry where everybody around me now, um, they're, they're mostly people of faith, so it's pretty, pretty common to talk about God at work, but I used to be an elementary school teacher. Well, that was taboo. You didn't talk about God in public school, right? Um, you know, I wasn't as easily able, or I, I didn't feel as confident sharing about God to my coworkers. You know, why is that? Why just, why wouldn't I? Maybe you're a parent, you're part of a mom's group. How often is God coming up in that conversation? Maybe your kid's on a sports team. They get to meet a lot of other new circle groups and new parents and new families. How often is God coming up in those conversations? Well, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to impose. I'm just being nice, right? Actions speak louder than words. If I'm being nice, then it's like I'm being Jesus, and they'll just catch on eventually. But you know what would be nice? 
sharing the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ. That would sure, sure would be nice, right? Like, that, that would be pretty good. And it's, like, kind of weird not to. Because we don't want to be weird. What I think is weirder is, like, having the answer to people's souls on social media. Like, that's weird. Imagine you're on a boat and somebody falls overboard and they're drowning, but you're the only one with the life preserver. And you're just standing there like, well, I don't want to be weird or impose. I'm not going to interject on their situation. I can't, you know, if they bring it up first, then I'll throw it in. Like, it just, that doesn't line up. Same, same, right? It's, it, it just doesn't make sense. So let's not be so shallow that God can't take root and do a work in you. So next one, last bad one, and then we're on to good soil. The seed that fell among the thorns that grew and choked the plants. So for my uh, example here, we've got, I planted a blueberry bush, and then I planted a thing of mint. Someone should really tell you that mint's a weed. <laughs> like, because it just seems to, if you, get, if you swing real hard, you'll see the one blueberry that I get to have a week, and then the rest of it is all just mint. I could open a mint restaurant. No one would come because it's a mint restaurant. But I could fill it with mint for days. I mean, it would be great, but, you know, whatever. So uh, Jesus says that that soil with all the thorns and all the weeds, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Wow. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, who's that? First thing I thought of, uh, me. Me. I'm guilty on both fronts. I think our opening story speaks for itself and the level of anxiety that lives in my head. But who isn't without the worries of this life, right? Between job and family and health. For me, recently, it's been health. I've been kind of public about my health journey. In December, I was diagnosed with stage 4 endometriosis. If you don't know what endometriosis is, it's a terrible disease that uh, women can get when there is an imbalance in their hormones. And so you have extra endometrial tissue that grows outside of your womb and sometimes onto other organs. It's incredibly painful. Um, In December, I had surgery for it. Uh, My surgeon removed a cyst larger than my actual ovary and so much tissue, it was pulling my appendix out of place. Catch up less than a year later. I just got an ultrasound last week. Everything has grown back. I've been in pain ever since. Less than a year. She's like, I'm out of options. And so now I'm trying to get into, like, another maybe clinical trial or something interesting to figure this out, right? Um, it's, it's heavy stuff that I know we're all going through. But this one, man, it's like a one-two punch. I've got the, the worries of this life and, oh, boy, the deceitfulness of wealth. That one was really quiet. Not just wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Oh, I'm out. I'm not wealthy. I mean, Come, I've, I've said this story before. Come look at my house. We're not wealthy. We've got the one bathroom from 1970s. It's blue. We've tried to paint over white. That didn't help. Paint starts peeling. Um, it's just, you know, the one bathroom, big family, and we're all scrunched in there sharing it, and it can be kind of stressful, right? That's not me. I don't have wealth. That's not wealth. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. Oh, I've got that. You know, maybe one day when I have two bathroom money, then everything will be fine. <laughs> one day when I fix this up, you know, then I'll be happy. Then things will go great. I've definitely got the deceitfulness of wealth. I have to battle those things, and I'm sure you do too. The real problem, maybe more so the debilitating disease than the ugly bathroom, but we've got some real big, heavy things. How do I not let it choke 
the life and joy out of me? Well, I can start by changing the narrative in my head. God, I am so thankful that you have called me to speak, that you have surrounded me with a community that doesn't shame female speakers so that when I have chronic pain from something that only women go through, you have made a way that I can minister to her. God, I am so thankful that I have a family to fight over the bathroom sink with, that we're all smushed around there trying to brush our teeth at the same time. I'm so thankful for those memories that are stressful now, but we're going to laugh on it when we look back, right? Don't let the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth cause us to be unfruitful. Okay, we made it to the good soil. (laughs) We did it. Uh, So this good soil, uh, seed that fell among good soil produced a crop, right? And I've got a picture of one of my only successful tomato plants to this day. And I'm so excited uh, to just celebrate this with you. Look, there's tomatoes on the plant. The trick is I put it in a pot away from my garden. (laughs) Like, I don't know why that works. But did you know that one tomato can have up to 300 seeds? That's pretty cool. And if I don't screw this up, my tomato plant could get up to 30 tomatoes. Wow, math, that's like 9,000 more seeds. And here's what Jesus says about that. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. That's so exciting. You know what? The first time I read the parable, I was quick to identify with that good soil. Yeah, you, you tell those other soil type people, Jesus. You, yeah, I hope they listen. But when I, I read back through it a second time and I hear the way Jesus explains it, man, the meaning of those not good soil people kind of sounds like me, right? Kind of sounds like thoughts that I have or things that have happened to me, not like a while ago, like recently. And all of the sudden, I don't feel as confident (laughs) about being the good soil. So now what? While this parable is direct and it hits head on everything that we need to know and hear, don't miss underlying lessons, some indirect things that we can notice when we read through it a third time that can help us work on our soil. Here are some things that I noticed, and it's the, we're finally at the notes to your, your card there. I, I waited till the end. You're like, where do I write all this down? All right, so the points on your cards, we're coming to them. Uh, the first thing I noticed at the beginning, the farmer had the same intention with the seeds. What did he want to do with them? He wanted them sown. So you could say he had the highest hopes, like I do with my garden every year, but did you notice? As the farmer has the seeds and he's gone about his day to do what? To sow the seeds. He didn't skip any of the bad spots. Oh, well, that's a hard path. That's not going to grow there. I'm going to skip that. Oh, rocky ground. That's never going to work. No. Oh, birds are always over there. Oh, the weeds and the thorns, they always grow in this spot. I'm not going to bother putting any seed over there. Well, if God is the sower and we're all these different types of ground, and the seed is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's putting the seeds in all these messy places, then what does that tell us about the sower? What does that tell us about God? God desires us to be with him. He desires us to be with him. That's what I see. No matter where we are, no matter which type of soil we are, he desires us to be with him. That is his intention from the start. It's up to us who we're going to be, right? What kind of life we're going to have to be able to receive his word and allow it to grow and take root. This isn't like a predestination thing, right? Everyone is invited 
to the good word, and we have free will to be able to be the good soil. He invites all of us. I can look around at my rocky, thorny mess and not give up. I can be confident that God loves me enough and desires for me to know him. So that's point number one that I notice. God desires us to be with him. The second thing I notice, when we finally get to the good soil people, it's actually not about them at all. The whole parable is not about us or our growth at all. It's about the kingdom's growth. The kingdom's growth. It's not our growth. It's the kingdom's growth. The crop at the end isn't that person's earthly success. It's not good health, it's not promotions, and it's not two bathrooms. In fact, we already clarified that following Jesus is going to make everybody hate you. It's the fruit of the kingdom. Not a parable about how to make our lives better, but about growing in God's truth. Because when we grow in our faith, we're producing more what? Not just fruit. What's in the fruit? Well, more seeds. Oh my gosh, we get to produce more opportunities for the good word to get out there. It's multiplied. And that's not just the pastor's job to be sharing the good seed, the good news, right? That's for all of you. That is more souls in heaven. That is more people forgiven. That is more lost people found. When I think about it like that, that is way more exciting than fixing up my house. I get to be part of growing God's kingdom when I produce that fruit. Last thing I noticed as I read through this the third time, and we'll close with this. On this side of heaven, where you grow isn't final. Where you grow isn't final. And what I mean by this is, in this life, all these examples of all the different kind of soil you are, it's not a done deal. And if it was final, then it's kind of silly for Jesus to be teaching this parable or any parables to begin with, right? The whole point of Jesus teaching these parables is so that we can learn from them so that we can either change course or be vigilant. Here's how I know it's not final. God shows us people in the Bible who change soils, who like change their ground a little bit. I'm going to start with the not so great news first and kind of go in reverse as we work our way back through this parable. The seed that fell in the good soil, right? King Saul. He started as good soil. He started as a dedicated follower of God, an obedient and strong king. But that wasn't final for him either, and he lost his way. So maybe we're truly in good soil right now, and praise God, but stay vigilant. Keep tending to your soil, which means you're daily participating in spiritual disciplines, prayer and scripture reading and fellowship and worshiping God. Keep practicing them even when it's hard. Last week, Pastor Eric said, what's that one thing you can do? What is God asking you to do? And if you got here on this week and you're like, I didn't do the one thing, keep working at it. Keep tilling at that good soil uh, and, and growing it, right, and keep tending to it because even good soil can go bad. If I have one amazing year in my garden, I've done everything right, I need to keep, keep working on that, keep tending to it, right? And then the same thing with the other seeds and the other types of soil, the seed among the thorns. It's like Matthew. A Jewish person who was raised to know God and respect God's people, but he was considered a traitor and a greedy tax collector. He was distracted by the deceitfulness of wealth. But that wasn't final for him. That wasn't the end of his story. He gave it all up to follow Jesus. The seed on the rocky ground is like Peter. He heard the word of God. 
he followed Jesus, right, with joy, and he sprang right up. But then he caved. He caved under persecution. But that wasn't final for him either. He was redeemed, and he became the one that God chose to establish his church and the seed on the path, that person who you thought, that's never going to go anywhere, right? The Apostle Paul. He knew of Jesus. He knew of Christianity. He didn't understand it. He rejected it, and he killed Christians over it. But that wasn't final for him. He was redeemed as well, and he became an apostle, writing the, most of the New Testament, right? He produced some incredible fruit that would grow a crop and influence people for generations. So every day that you are given life and breath on this earth is another day that you can work on your soil. Because this parable might be over, but your story in God and what you do in this life is not. So church, let's pray. God, I thank you for your good word. I thank you for you speaking in parables, you telling us stories, you creating these images, God, these tangible ways that we can know you and know your word and be inspired for what we can become in you, not for ourselves, God, that we want to grow a crop, that we want to produce fruit that has more seeds of the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that more people can be saved that more people get to know you, that this isn't just for ourselves. Help me, God, find opportunities to talk about you. God, forgive me for all the times I don't. Like, how weird is that? I'm sorry. Help me to hear your voice and to be bold and share about you. We are so just honored to be part of that story. God, thank you for these parables that teach us these lessons. In Jesus' name, amen.